Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. This week in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus redefines what it means to be a good person when it comes to dealing with anger. Uh, These are amazing, initially kind of confusing, but ultimately deeply inspiring words from Jesus. Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Anger is a universal human problem. In the ancient world, uh, there were no police departments or district attorneys. Uh, The rich and powerful could get away with anything. And so the writers of the Old Testament protect the weak, which is where Jesus starts. The writers of the Old Testament said, you shall not murder. Uh, If someone was killed, then a, a blood avenger could chase them down and execute the murderer. The blood avenger was usually the, the fastest, the strongest, toughest guy in the family, like the, like the middle linebacker of the family or something like that. Uh, that was actually a huge step toward uh, justice in the ancient world. But over time, human nature being what it is, people in Israel started thinking that when it comes to anger, Uh, There are two kinds of people. There are good people and there are bad people. There are uh, murderers and there are non-murderers. As long as I haven't actually murdered someone, then I'm in the good category. I'm in the clear in regards to this law. So as Jesus begins to describe what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, he starts with anger. And then we'll look at next week, he goes on to sexuality. Uh, then relational unhappiness, dishonesty, and so on. Now, the order of topics in the Sermon on the Mount is very important. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is often treated as a a collection of just random sayings, but it's not. I believe Jesus starts with anger for a profound reason, and that is anger is the number one offender of spiritual life. If you read through the Bible, starting from the very beginning, you see Cain and Abel— Uh, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, uh, characters in the Bible deal with anger issues all the way through. If you look at life today, according to the National Center on Domestic Violence, 20 people a minute are physically abused by an intimate partner. I mean, look at 
unpleasant workplaces. Look at miserable marriages. The vast majority of human wrongdoing involves anger and contempt. If we could eliminate anger problems, I mean, we would eliminate the single greatest cause of human misery. Now, why is anger the number one problem? It has to do with this idea of your kingdom being where what you say goes uh, that we talked about at the beginning of this series. We talked about how the good news Jesus came to proclaim is that the kingdom of God is now available to human beings like you and me. And it has come through Jesus. The kingdom of God, the reality of the presence and power of God is now available to human beings like you and me. We can live it in if we want to. We also talked about the kingdom of this earth and how we all have our own little kingdom. Uh, your kingdom is where what you say goes. It's where uh, your will is in charge. Uh, your will is your ability to choose, to create, to initiate. Your will uh, is a form of energy. So what's anger? First of all, anger is a response when your will gets blocked. Uh, when what you say is not going the way that you want it to go. Anger is the spontaneous response you experience when uh, your will gets thwarted. So anger is your will saying, you know, hey, something is getting in my way. The will is energy. So anger is a form of negative personal energy. Uh, now, the purpose of anger is to alert us that something is wrong and to energize us to take action and correct it. And this almost always immediately moves to, I want to harm whatever it is that is obstructing my will. I wanna destroy it. You know, if I'm running late for an important meeting and I'm in a hurry and I notice my shoe is untied and I bend down to tie it and I'm in such a hurry that I pull it real hard and it breaks, my first thought is, this stupid shoelace. Now, a shoelace can't be stupid because it doesn't have intellectual capacity. Uh, we have smartphones, we don't have smart shoelaces. Uh, but when I'm angry, I wanna harm that stupid shoelace. That shoelace thwarted my will so it should be destroyed. Now, here's the problem. Uh, is the world set up to always please your will? No. So you get angry a lot. If you play golf, you know golfers will often hit a bad shot and get angry. But they don't get angry at themselves. They break their club because it hit the bad shot. They will the destruction of their club. There was a man whose car got struck, uh, stuck in the snow recently and the man got furious. He took the tire iron and smashed the windows of his own car, got a pistol and shot out all four tires, reloaded it, emptied the clip into his car. The police department said it was a case of auto side. <laughs> now, of course, the number one cause of anger in people is not shoelaces or golf clubs or cars. Do you know what it is? It's other people. Pretty soon, I think not that stupid shoelace or that stupid golf club, I think that stupid person. Okay, now the problem Jesus is concerned about is not just that my emotion is aroused. The problem is not even just that my will has been thwarted. 
The problem now is that I want to harm another person. I want to believe they're stupid, they're bad, and deserving of bad things. See, this is the second dimension of anger now. Anger is not just that my will gets thwarted, it moves really quickly to the will to harm. I want to harm. Now, to Jesus, it's never okay to want to harm another person. Another way to put that is, to Jesus, it's never okay to stop willing the good for another person. Let me say that again. To Jesus, in the kingdom of God, it is never okay to stop willing the good for another person. Never. That's why he's so concerned about anger. That's why it's so foundational. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus uses a word here that indicates intense anger, and he deliberately describes the consequence in identical languages. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry will be subject to judgment. Really? Like just getting angry? Now this seems so unattainable, like such an impossibly high bar that people have tried all kinds of ways to finagle their way out of actually having to obey what Jesus said here. Uh, People uh, will say, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he was offering uh, the kingdom of heaven to Israel. Uh, Like the Sermon on the Mount was an ethic for that kingdom, but Israel refused to make him king. So the Sermon on the Mount doesn't really apply to us. We don't have to worry about that. That's not true. Some people have said Jesus is referring here to unjustified anger. Uh, So from that point of view, he must have meant only unjustified anger is forbidden. And that was so prevalent, uh, many of our Bibles, depending on your translation, will have a footnote that says some ancient manuscripts added the phrase, anyone who is angry without cause at their brother or sister. In the ancient world, of course, they had no printing presses, so every Bible was hand copied. And what happened was scribes were copying the text, and when they would get to this part, they would think, oh, Jesus couldn't have meant angry for any reason. I mean, he must have meant if you're angry without cause. So they actually added those words. In other words, they were saying unjustified anger is bad, but I'm experiencing righteous indignation. So of course that's okay. This is not what Jesus was saying. Some people say Jesus has taken the high bar of Moses and made it even higher so we would realize it's impossible to obey Jesus. So as long as we believe the right doctrine about Jesus, we can go to heaven without ever intending to obey him. No. Jesus said, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. When people reinterpret Jesus so they don't have to obey what he said about not getting angry, it makes me angry. (laughs) Although really it's a more righteous indignation. You know, one of the dangers of anger is we can enjoy it. Uh, I like it because it makes me feel superior. You never meet a, a humble, angry person. Anger feeds human vanity. Jesus' teaching on this is really simple. Uh, it's not particularly, particularly complex. It's not hyperbole. 
God never stops willing the good ever for anyone. Never. God is perfectly capable of simultaneously discerning, judging someone's actions as evil, of knowing precisely how much of the responsibility for that is their genetics, how much of it is their environment, how much of it is their personal choice, and at the same time, wholeheartedly willing that that person does good. God can do that. But for me, as soon as I start to indulge in anger, I tend to stop willing the good for the person that I'm angry at. As soon as I cease to will someone's good, and this is not a feeling, this is an act of the will, then God's will is not being done in my life. God always judges that as an evil thing. I'm choosing the kingdom of self over the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus knows anger is dangerous because it justifies not willing the good of another person. And then it moves to another phase of anger. Anger is contempt that leaks out of us. Jesus goes on because indulged anger never stays buried. It leaks out uh, into my words and into my actions. He gives two pictures of this. Anyone who says raka is answerable to the court, but anyone who says you fool is in danger of the fires of hell. Now, raka in that day was an insult. It was a a guttural sound, like the sound that you would make if you were gonna spit on someone. Uh, Spit is a gesture of contempt. Uh, Anger moves us toward contempt. Uh, You fool would be like us saying you idiot or you worthless piece of you know, often contempt involves the language of filth. Now, some people will read what Jesus said here and think, you know, I don't explode, I don't yell, I don't curse, uh, so I don't have an anger problem. Yes, you do. We have an infinite number of ways to express anger. I mean, how we look at someone, how we don't look at someone, how we speak to someone, how we don't speak to someone, how we touch someone, how we don't touch someone sarcasm, a sabotage, a forgetting, you know, passive aggression, withdrawing, avoiding, uh, placating someone out of fear or appeasing wrongly. I mean, these can be every bit as unloving and sinful as exploding in wrath. Now, here's the point. Jesus is not giving a new set of harder rules. Sometimes people mistakenly read Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as giving a new list of hard rules. Sometimes people will think, you know, well, okay, uh, now I'm not allowed to murder anyone. I can't call them raka or call them fool. Uh, But fortunately, there are a a whole list of other bad words that I can use. See, Jesus is not giving new rules here. He's illustrating what it looks like to have an aim or a heart that's pervaded by love, to will the good. This is the surpassing goodness that we talked about last week. There's a bumper sticker in our day. There is no excuse for domestic violence. And there is no excuse for domestic violence. It is evil in God's sight. It must be stopped. And here's the key. You cannot eliminate domestic violence by trying really hard to eliminate domestic violence while leaving the toxic, angry thoughts and desires and feelings of the heart unchanged. You can't avoid 
anger by trying really hard to avoid anger. If my heart is not transformed, anger, the will to harm and sin will triumph and leak out of me in a thousand unseen ways. Anger eats behavior modification for breakfast. And we'll turn in the Sermon on the Mount to how living in the kingdom of God can really transform our angry hearts in just a moment. All right, I got to tell you a story when I got angry. I was a senior in high school, and as part of our youth group trip, we went to a uh, water skiing weekend. And I remember it was the last day of the trip, and I was out on a tube, and the person driving the boat hit this wave, and I fell inside the tube, and the person on the tube that was with me fell on my knee and couldn't get up. So every wave we hit sent this shock wave through my knee and up my leg, and it was excruciating. And so I'm doing this to the driver of the boat to get him to stop, and they wouldn't stop driving the boat. And the more I did this, the more I began to see red, and I started saying things I regret. And I was probably about two miles away from the dock, and when the driver of the boat finally stopped driving, I jumped off the tube, said a lot of choice words, and decided I was not getting back in the boat. No matter how much they begged me, I said, nope, I refuse to get in a boat with you. And so in that moment, I chose to stew in my anger. I chose to be angry at them indefinitely. And I then began to swim back to the dock. I am not a good swimmer. So this took me forever. There were times that I had to stop in the middle of the lake and just sit there and bob in the lake until I get my strength back. It took me the rest of the day to get back to the boat. It was excruciating. And every stroke that I took just made me more and more angry. Looking back on that story, I can't believe I got that angry. I don't think I've even been that angry ever since, thank God. But it really makes me think of how much time I wasted and how much of that day was ruined by my anger. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live that way anymore. So let's head back to hear what Matt has to say about anger. All right, now we turn in the Sermon on the Mount to how living in the kingdom of God can transform our angry hearts. What does that look like? Jesus began by talking about three things you don't do. Uh, you don't live with the will to harm, uh, you don't say destructive things like raka. You don't say you fool. And then he goes on to give two positive illustrations to what a kingdom kind of uh, person does. A person living with this kind of surpassing goodness that we talked about last week. Again, these aren't laws. Uh, these are illustrations. All right, so let's look at how to live in the kingdom of God when it comes to anger. And the method Jesus talks about are number one, make reconciling a broken relationship a higher priority than religious activity. Jesus says, when you're offering your gift at the altar, when you're about to do something religious and you remember someone has a problem with you, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, maybe it's a mix, it doesn't matter. Jesus says, do reconciliation first. That's what love would do. I was flying to uh, Las Vegas recently for a soccer tournament with my son. Uh, not the ideal family-friendly location to host a soccer tournament for young boys, but that's the topic for next week. 
through carelessness on my part, we were running late for the airport. Uh, we had to hurry like crazy. We were uh, in the security line and it was taking forever. Uh, people on the line are so self-centered. I mean, they bring little children who move so incredibly slow. Uh, they take computers out of the bags with no sense of urgency. Uh, they're wearing shoes that have to be untied and belts that have to be unbuckled when they know they're going to have to take them off. I realized when I was standing there, I was viewing every person in front of me as my adversary. They were obstacles to me getting through the line. Now, it's my fault I'm late, but I'm holding everyone around me in contempt. In that moment, in my mind and my heart, this is what was going on inside of me. Fool, 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 fool. Uh, if it's not coming out of my mouth, I mean, it was sure on my eyes and on my face and in my body language. You see, here's the thing. I do this even when I don't have any deadline because I'm just addicted to hurry and I'm addicted to self. And the invitation from Jesus is not, okay, grit your teeth and avoid murder. Try hard not to say raka or fool. Everything else is fair game. His invitation is this, die to your ego. Die to yourself. Die to the kingdom of self. Live in the reality and recognize I cannot force my tremendous will. You know, I can't will that line to move faster. I'm not in charge of airports or traffic or weather. I live in God's kingdom, not mine. I can let go of everything that is not in my control and I can actually will the good for the people around me. So I actually started doing that in that line. I started talking pleasantly to people. You know, what a great jacket. You know, where did you get that jacket? Can I help you get that in the bin a little more quickly? <laughs> and we got to Las Vegas on time. And you know what? Even if we had gotten there late, God wouldn't have been as concerned about us being late as he was about the kind of heart that I was going with. In God's kingdom, here's the thing. I cease to be attached to my will being done. I cease to be attached to it. And I live in the goodness of God's kingdom. That's what life without anger consists of. One of the things people do who are doing this is seek to reconcile broken relationships before engaging in religious activity. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment. Sometimes reconciling will be really complex, and I know. It may take time. It may take years. It may take multiple conversations. I get it. And part of the reconciliation process is in the hands of the other person. They may never be willing to do that. But my guess is some of you are rationalizing not doing this. You're saying, hey, this problem is not my fault. This relational breakdown is not my responsibility. He should take the first step. You know, she should uh, take the first step. I know they'll never change. I'm harboring uh, no ill will, so I'm in compliance to this one. I don't have to go seek reconciliation. My conscience is clear. You know, I'm not living with angry feelings. Jesus didn't say, if your brother or sister has a problem with you, manage your emotions so you don't feel anger. It's not what he said. 
Contempt avoidance is not love. Love wills the good. And I know it can be complex. I know the other person might be utterly hard-hearted. I get it. Maybe all you can offer is genuine willingness to God. But here's the deal. A lot of people let themselves off the hook when it comes to reconciliation. Love seeks reconciliation. Love wills reconciliation. And if you're not doing that, if your words and your actions are not moving you toward reconciliation, if you're not open for it, don't kid yourself that you're obeying Jesus. You can't control the outcome, but you can give your heart. All right, Jesus gives another way to live in the kingdom of God when it comes to anger. Number two, be genuinely kind toward your adversary. He gives the second illustration, which is a courtroom deal. I suppose someone is taking you to court. You're in a a legal or financial battle with them. What do you do? Jesus said, settle matters quickly. The word he actually used means make friends with them. Be kind to them. In other words, you genuinely try to understand and help that person. Now, that, that may not mean doing what they want, but for sure it means seeking to do what is best for them in God's eyes. That might be a legal deal. Uh, I know some of you maybe have gone through that and it's been very difficult. Uh, maybe you have a rival at work who has mistreated you. Uh, maybe you have an enemy at school. Uh, Maybe you have a difficult neighbor. Maybe you have a a very troubled or troublesome ex-spouse. Pray for them. Ask God to show you where and how you can extend kindness to them. Not out of fear, not out of obligation, but out of love. Maybe there's not a way to do this, but ask God if he would show you. The main point with these examples, seek reconciliation, be kind toward your adversary, isn't do these behaviors like their new laws. Jesus is inviting us to ponder, you know, what kind of thought life, what kind of feelings and moods, what habits of mind, body, and speech would you find in the kind of person who would just routinely pursue reconciliation above religious correctness, who would reach out in non-anxious, relaxed kindness to win over an adversary. And when we ponder this, we begin to get a vision for righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. All right, two more practices in our pursuit of living free from anger in the kingdom of God. Uh, Number three, be intentional about how you feed your mind. Uh, Our culture will feed your mind to make you angry. I know so many people in the last couple of years who have given up listening to talk radio because it just is about stoking anger and contempt at political opposition. True story, I heard a political commentator on one side of the spectrum say, hey, if the pastor at your church uses the phrase social justice, stop going to that church. That same week, I heard a political commentator on the other side of the spectrum say, hey, if this week your pastor does not preach about the violation of social justice, stop going to that church. My suggestion is stop listening to those guys. Here's some advice from Jesus. If someone forces you to go with them one mile, go with them too. 
Now, the backdrop everyone would have known in that day is legally a Roman soldier could force an Israelite to carry their backpack one mile. Those soldiers were uh, hated. They were enemies politically and religiously. And Jesus says, now, if you're living in the kingdom of God, will the good of your Roman soldier enemies, not only when they force you, you know, carry that backpack a mile, when you get to the end of that trip, ask them, could I help you with some more? Could I carry it another mile? Now, Jesus is not giving a law here. He's not saying, say, you know, well, I'm taking your backpack another mile because Jesus said I have to. You don't want to go another mile? Well, too bad. Jesus said I have to, so I'm taking your backpack another mile. It's not a law. It's an illustration. So this week, go out of your way to do something kind for someone with whom you ardently disagree politically or spiritually. Ask God to help you do it with a generous spirit, not gritted teeth. And then one more thing Jesus mentioned. Number four, remember the cross is about grace. You see, the cross reminds us that there is a great battle between good and evil, between love and anger. Anger tells me it's okay to will the bad for this contemptible person. That's why almost all evil involves anger. That's why Jesus starts with anger. The battleground around good and evil between love and anger is in my soul, my will. So this week, every time your will gets thwarted, and it will get thwarted, maybe a lot, just start with little ways uh, use it in an, as an opportunity to, uh, to die to your own will, to hand your will over to God, to, to say to God, God, your will be done, not mine. Out of the unhurried, unworried abundance of the kingdom of God, I can know the freedom of the surrendered will and learn the joy of living with a loving heart. Your will be done, God, not mine. In light of the cross, remember grace this week. You know, I've been uh, quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quite a bit during uh, Black History Month. Well, there's another Martin Luther uh, who lived at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, and he had a lot of anger issues, a lot of them. He was often overwhelmed by this sense of guilt, and it was largely out of that that his understanding of the grace of God just wrecked him. One time he was trying to pray and he said the devil flooded him with a list of his sins. And instead of saying, no, I haven't sinned or denying them, Luther said to the devil, think harder, devil. There must be more. And the devil did think harder and listed a lot more. And then Luther said to the devil, now write over all those sins in red ink, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. This week, remember the cross is about grace, grace alone. Don't let anger win in you. Let the cross win in you. Let grace abound in you. You know, I can't even begin to imagine what God could do with a community of people who are surrendering their anger to the kingdom of Jesus, uh, the kingdom of the cross. Uh, let's be that community. All right, let me pray for you. God, help us this week as we 
think about and we contemplate this teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount related to anger. God, help us to, to will the good in other people. Help us to see people around us the way that you see them. Help us to settle matters quickly with our adversary. Help us to uh, reconcile, to seek reconciliation over doing uh, religious things. God, help us to, to guard our hearts when it comes to anger and not use language that would be, um, that you would be disapproving of. God, help us to honor you in the way that we treat people around us. Help us to, to search our hearts and really reflect on the ways that we uh, deal with anger. Maybe, maybe we have to kind of do a reset in our lives on this. So help us, God. Would your Holy Spirit just uh, speak to us, continue to refine us, continue to do a work in us, and help us to be free from anger and help us to live in the reality of your kingdom. This is the best way to live. Would you guide us this week? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.